The following sermon is by Dr. Josh Scally, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Josh. This morning we'll see what we commonly refer to as the fourth commandment. It's the longest of the ten. There's more text on it than any of the others. It's one of only two prescriptions rather than prohibitions. It's telling us what we ought to do rather than what we ought not to do. And yet, sort of interestingly, the Sabbath, the fourth commandment, is the most debated and most dismissed of the ten. Why do we need to remember the Sabbath? And we've been going through Exodus, and we've already seen two qualities endemic to humans that reminds us why we need the Sabbath. One is because humans, all of us, you and I, struggle to trust, trust that God will provide. In Exodus 16, God is trying to restore the principle of Sabbath to the Israelites who've been recently redeemed from slavery. And he tells them that he's going to provide for them every day, miraculously, with manna from heaven. But he tells them something important. Don't try to store up more than what I've given you and have it in advance for tomorrow. What I've given you is enough. But many of the people don't trust that God will provide tomorrow, and they try to hoard extra bread, and it rots. Humans struggle to trust. There's a second thing we struggle with as humans. We struggle with trying to get ahead, trying to outrun God's provision. So days one through five, God gives them daily bread and tells them not to store any. But day six, he gives them a double portion. And he tells them, if you wake up tomorrow on the seventh, there won't be anything. So don't go out to gather. Don't try to get anything extra. But of course, the Sabbath day comes and many of the people wake up and run out there trying to gather what isn't there, trying to get ahead. Now, this is not an Exodus 16 Israelite only problem. It's a human problem. Bill Gates was asked how he felt about Sunday and why he didn't believe in God. And Bill Gates answered, just in terms of allocation of time resources, religion is not very efficient. There's a lot more I could be doing on Sunday morning. Humans struggle with trying to get ahead and with trusting. Judith Shulovitz writes for the New York Times. And in 2003, she wrote a long article. It's very interesting, though. It's titled, Bring Back the Sabbath. She writes, My mood would darken every weekend until by Saturday afternoon I'd be unresponsive and morose. My normal routine, which involved brunch with friends, swapping tales of misadventure, and the relentless quest for romance and professional success, made me feel impossibly restless. I started spending Saturdays by myself. After a while, I got lonely and did something that as a teenager, profoundly put off by her religious education, I could never have imagined wanting to do. I began dropping in on a nearby synagogue. If people in the past suffered from the Sabbath, it's extra burdens. I was suffering from the lack of Sabbath. In our hectic pace, work has become the norm. Even things that aren't thought of as work are taking on a work purpose. The one day in seven 
has become the holiday Americans are most likely never to take. She continues, most people mistakenly believe that all you have to do to stop working is not work. The inventors of the Sabbath understood it was much more complicated than that. You cannot downshift casually or easily. The rules of the Sabbath do not exist to torture the faithful. They were meant to communicate the insight that interrupting the ceaseless sound of striving requires a surprisingly strenuous act of the will, one that has to be bolstered by habit. So Judith Shulovitz found what all of us discover, that we need rest. We need Sabbath. I think there are a few things that are common in our culture right now that make our need for rest perhaps even more pronounced. One of them is technology. (laughs) Wasn't technology billed to us as a way to make our lives easier and more restful? How's that working out? (laughs) See, if you can work anywhere, then you work everywhere. Work interrupts all of the things that were once siphoned off. Also, there's something a little unique to our cultural moment that wouldn't have been true for our great-grandparents. Now we're told the one voice that you have to listen to the most is your own. Our great-grandparents, at the end of a long day, if their mind was running, they would say, whatever I'm thinking is unimportant, I'm going to bed. Today we're told, whatever I'm thinking is the most important voice I have. Surely I have to listen to myself. This makes our need for Sabbath even greater. So this morning, I want to try to answer three questions. Why should we rest? What is rest? And how can we rest? And if you have the Pew Bible, it's page 72. We're still looking at the verses that were read. The title of today's sermon is God's Gift of Rest. Let's look very slowly at the verses that were there, and then we'll look at those three questions, okay? So first, a laser focus, beginning in verse 8. And then we'll answer the three questions, why, what, and how related to rest. First, look very closely with the microscope, Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. First, notice the word remember is a car. Isn't it crazy we have to be told to remember, (laughs) to rest? It's almost like when Jesus gave us the Lord's Supper and said, this, do this in remembrance of me, as if we were going to forget, but, but we do. Imagine you're taking your kids to the pool, and at the pool there's a list of rules. Don't run, don't push, don't yell. I need these rules on my house as well. <laughs> One of the rules, though, is not a negative. It just says, relax, refresh. Do you need that one written? You might. Or imagine you're taking your 18-year-old, and he just got accepted at college, and it's out of state. And so you drive him there, you drop him off, you've gone through all the red tape, you've given him all the reminders, don't do this, don't spend time with these people, be careful about this. But then you put your hand on his shoulders, and you say, but rejoice, these are going to be some of the greatest years of your life, and there's nothing like them on either side. You're reminding them in all the other stuff not to miss out on the blessing that's been given to them. Do we need a reminder to rest? Yes, we do. The next word, Sabbath, is the Hebrew word that means ceasing, Shabbat. 
It means to stop doing what you were doing. Most of the culture in the Bible is an agrarian farming society. So it means quit worrying about the fields. For us, it might mean quit answering emails. (laughs) The word then is holy. This Sabbath day is Kadesh. It's holy. Now, of course, you probably know holy means set apart as distinct. But please don't forget in the Bible, anytime anything is set apart as holy, it's always set apart to the Lord. So it's never just highlighted yellow for no purpose. It's highlighted to be set off, not just to not do something, but to do something, to rejoice and rest in the Lord who gave it. That's why if we kept reading the Bible, we'd find that what happens on the Sabbath is not a cessation of everything, but a blessing of uninterrupted communion with God. In Leviticus 23, verse 3, the Sabbath is called a day of sacred assembly. It becomes a day to rejoice in the Lord. All right, now verse 9, we're still just microscoping all these words. Six days you shall labor. Notice there that the expectation is that you are vocationally working for the other six. This also would be difficult for us to think through. I understand that the word vocation is broader than just the occupation you may check in at, and it surely means much more than a place that may compensate you. But notice that for six days, there's productive gift of labor. The seventh is a fruitful gift of rest. Notice the word labor and the word work are used. They're two different Hebrew words, melakah and abad. I think they're used to show that anything that would fall under vocation is what you do for the six, but not the seventh. Notice verse nine, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but now verse 10, but the seventh day, you know in the Bible, seven tends to be the end of something the completion of something, the culmination of something. So the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God for him. Remembering it is more than just knowing it happened, but making an effort to enjoy love on that day. If I remember that it's my anniversary and that's all I do, I'm pretty sure that's not enough. (laughs) It has to not only be something I remember occurred, it's something that encourages a relational harmony as well. Now notice what God says that's so wise in the end of verse 10. Not only shall you not do any work, but neither shall your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. God knows that we might try to get ahead by proxy (laughs) and work through other people and therefore deny them the rest that they need. If we kept going in Exodus 21, God's concerned that the donkey gets a break. So anything that falls under your responsibility, all of it's supposed to cease. It's not only a benefit for you at the cost of others, but a benefit for everyone. All right, that was the microscope. Now today, what I need to try to do to the best of my ability in our briefly allocated spot is show how this passage is then woven through the rest of the Bible. All right, so the three questions. Ready? Here's number one. Why should we rest? Well, we get to stay here for this this answer. Look in verse 11. 
For, now going to tell us the reason why we rest, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Here's my answer. It's a bold one. I'm going to try to show you that it's a biblical one. Here's my answer. Why should we rest the answer? God made rest to be the goal of the week and the goal of our existence. God made rest to be the goal of the week and the goal of our existence. In Genesis 2, the passage we read earlier, when it says on the seventh day God rested, that's the verbal form of the Hebrew word Shabbat, God Sabbathed on the seventh day. So why do we need to rest? Because that's actually the purpose of the week. It's to culminate with rest. It's also the purpose for which you were made. In Deuteronomy 5, you don't need to turn there, but in Deuteronomy 5, Moses gives the law a second time. And when he explains the Sabbath in Deuteronomy 5, instead of tying it back to creation, he ties it to redemption. In Deuteronomy 5, Moses says this, you need to remember you were a slave in Egypt and the Lord brought you out. Therefore, the Lord commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So God is saying we rest because God created that to be the culmination of the week, but we also rest because God redeemed us so that we could rest in relationship with him. Now, throughout the Bible, this theme will be traced. Leviticus 23 and 24 talks about how the Sabbath is a holy day of worship, a sacred assembly, a day to enjoy God. When we get to Psalm 92, we find it's a psalm written for the, the Sabbath. First Chronicles talks about the Sabbath being taken well. But then Isaiah, I think, helps us most. In Isaiah 58, 13 through 14, this would be a key text to write down in terms of what the purpose of the Sabbath is. Isaiah 58, 13 through 14. Call the Sabbath a delight. The holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own way and seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord. Did you see what Isaiah said? What's the purpose of the Sabbath? To delight in the Lord. God created seven days so that on the seventh you would rest. That was the goal of the week. God created you so that you would delight in him. This is the goal of your existence and the Sabbath shows us this. It shows us that there's supposed to be something that gets set apart where we commune with God. All right, now I have to do a big picture weaving of this theme in the Bible, and um, I'm going to try to communicate that perfectly as well as I can. Here's the theme we see in the Bible. We get up to seven, and then we rest, and then we reset. So think of the days of the week. You have six, it builds to rest, and then you repeat. Then there's seven festivals in the Bible. The Passover is the first one. You have seven, they reset, and then they repeat. Perhaps you know the Bible well enough to know that there's this thing where you do seven times seven. Do you know what that year is called? Seven times seven, add one. Year 50 is called the year of what? Do you know? Jubilee, right? In the year of Jubilee, everything resets. Everything rests. In fact, every seventh year, you're to redeem everybody, release all the slaves. So notice this pattern throughout the Bible. You build up to seven, you rest, you reset. You build up to seven, you rest, you reset. Now Jesus comes, and if you pay really close attention, he launches his public ministry on the Sabbath. Okay, in Luke 4, on the seventh day of the week, Jesus is in the synagogue, as they would have been, and he reads 
the Bible from a scroll. He reads Isaiah and the passage he reads is a passage that says the year of the Lord's favor has come. He's referring to the year of Jubilee. This is amazing. Jesus is saying, so for thousands of years, you've built up to seven, rest and reset, build up to seven, rest and reset. But now I'm here. And then in Luke chapter six, on the Sabbath, he's healing people. And the Pharisees get really mad because that's sort of on brand for for them to get really upset. And they say, how are you doing this on the Sabbath? Why are you disobeying the Sabbath? And Jesus says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. The very thing that you were created for, the rest that you need, is something that only I can provide. Now stick with me, it gets even more amazing. Jesus coordinates with precision and prediction exactly when he will die. He makes this clear throughout the Gospels, and he makes sure that he, the Passover lamb, is crucified on Friday, and then as the week builds, he rests in the tomb on the Sabbath. But then, all these thousands of years of building and recycling and building and recycling change because he raises from the dead. And then from that point forward, Nobody talks about the seventh day of the week. They talk about the first day of the week. See, God created the world and then rested. But now Jesus, through new creation, through the new covenant, has provided what everything else was preparing us for. Christ has come to give the rest for which you and I were created. The Passover lamb rose. So why do we rest? That's not only the climax of the week, it's the purpose of our existence. But that leads me to number two, what is rest? And here I'll explain rest is fellowship and enjoyment of God. Remember the Israelites, when they were redeemed out of Egypt, were redeemed out of slavery as well. If there's something for sure as a slave you don't enjoy, it is rest. All of your work produces fruit that you don't get to keep. Your work is toil and rest is removed from you. And so when God brings them out of Egypt, he wants them on the seventh day to restore the practice he had made at creation to rest in him. So God wants to restore what had been taken and God describes what he gives on the Sabbath as refreshment. So Exodus 23, verse 12, he describes the Sabbath as refreshing. In Exodus 31, verse 17, again, he calls it refreshing. Now, this refreshing is deeper than just physical. It is physical, but it's deeper. Let me explain. On the seventh day, when God rested, was God tired? No. How did the universe come into existence? God spoke. So on the seventh day, he's clearly not exhausted. So yes, he's modeling something for us, but it's more than that. Think of what he said after each day of creation. God created and said, it is good. God created, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. And then the sixth day, it is very good. And then on the seventh, he rested because there were no finishing touches needed. Have you ever had a project that you kept adding tweaks to? a paper that you couldn't put it down, a project you kept changing. Praise the Lord, I have to preach on Sunday or I would still be working on this sermon. <laughs> that's, that's the way I'm wired. 
And some of you in your house, wives, be honest, your husband's been working on that room for 35 years. It's, it's still being finished. So stick with me. When God finished creating, there were no tweaks needed. That means that the Sabbath deals with satisfaction in our soul. There's nothing to add. There's nothing to tweak. There's no more touches needed. Do you know how good that news is for you and I? The last words Jesus said on the cross were, it is finished. Did you know this morning, any inner turmoil that you have in your heart can be permanently dealt with when Jesus puts his hand on your shoulders and looks into your eyes and calls you by name and says, it is finished. There's nothing else for you to do. Hebrews tells us in chapter 4, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Verse 10, whoever has entered God's rest has rested from his work as God rested from his. Listen, this morning, you don't need to strive to win God's approval. Jesus says it is finished. You don't need to be restless in your soul. Jesus said it is finished. You don't need to add any works to make sure you get pushed over the line. Jesus paid it all and said, it is finished. And Christian, if you believe that Jesus finished it, then your rest can be truly restful and your work can be truly restful because he finished it before the foundation of the world. <laughs> he has it all planned out. This is why he says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me and you will find rest for your soul and no spa or vacation can give you that kind of rest. So what is rest? Rest is communion with God, knowing that it is finished. And that brothers and sisters was the reason for a weekly rhythm of rest. It was meant to be a foretaste of what God would secure. So God brings them out of Egypt and he's going to bring them to the promised land, which he describes as the land of rest. And so every seventh day, they're supposed to lay down and trust in the Lord who will fulfill his promises. It's a foretaste of what God has secured. And I do think there's a similar principle today. Now on the first day of the week, the church can, as a weekly rhythm, experience what has been eternally secured for us in Christ. I've been helped this week by Guy Waters, some of his writing. He, uh, he, he was local. He got his PhD at Duke, and he still has been writing. He wrote a book this year called The Sabbath as Rest and Hope. Let me quote part of it. The rest and life that Christ has won for us is the rest and life of our salvation. And that's what we're waiting for. The full experience of redemption that Christ has purchased for us, the rest that we have begun to enjoy, but will only fully enjoy when Christ returns and brings all things to completion. All right, so if Christ has secured this rest, what keeps us from experiencing this rest? And one good example in the Gospels is our own man-made trust and our own man-made regulations. Remember, the Pharisees are mad at Jesus because Jesus isn't keeping their made-up additional human regulations. 
Jesus did not disobey God's word. Jesus kept the biblical Sabbath, but Jesus refused to keep their human burdens. And still today, it is easy to pervert God's gift of blessing by putting hope in our achievement and additions. So now this leads us to number three. The first question, uh, why should we rest? The second, what is rest? But now the third and final question, how can we rest? I believe we can rest only through daily dynamic faith in Jesus Christ. The rest that God wants us to experience is not ultimately found in a day. It is found in a person. And what that person has done for us and how we receive it through faith. Now Hebrews chapter 3 through Hebrews chapter 4 is very important. Hebrews 3 through 4 explains how the Israelites failed to enter God's rest, but then tells us how we can enter God's rest. Verse 9 of 4, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Whoever has entered God's rest has rested from his work as God did from his. But then it says in verse 11, let us strive to enter that rest so that no one fails to reach it through their disobedience. And we know from the rest of the passage, their disobedience, lack of faith. Sometimes in my home, my children have something they're very, very anxious about, something they don't know how it's going to get fixed, a toy to build, uh, something that needs to be taken somewhere else. And then if I'm confident that I can do it, what I'll say to them is, hey, I got it. I got it. And when I tell them I got it, what I'm letting them know is you no longer need to worry about this thing that you're so stressed about. You can trust me because I got it. I'm inviting them to enter my rest. Tell them that you don't have to be concerned about this because I got it. You can enter my rest. Now, God had told the Israelites, and I'm paraphrasing, I got it. <laughs> he brought them out of Egypt. They were freaking out. He parted the Red Sea. They started freaking out again. <laughs> he gave them bread every day. They freaked out again. He had Moses hold up the staff, protected them from the Amalekites. Over and over and over, God is telling them, I got it. I'm going to take you to the land of rest. And when they got all the way to the land of rest, 12 spies went in. And they brought back a report of what God said he had, a land flowing with milk, a land with honey, a land that God had prepared for rest for them. But then they looked at it and they saw the size of the people and the Israelites said, you know what? I don't think God's got it. And so they did not enter his rest. And so for 40 years, they wandered in circles restlessly. Do you know what the Bible is telling us through the Sabbath? God, he's got it. He's got it. You see, what Jesus said in John 14 is, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let it be afraid. Believe in God. Believe in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again so that you will be where I am also. I got it. See, here's what's amazing about it too. God's ability to have it is never deterred by anybody's resistance. 
Think about this. They were going to go to the land of rest that was already flowing with milk and honey that they did not cultivate. How are they going to receive milk and honey? Because the Canaanites who thought they were making milk for themselves (laughs) were making it for God's people because God's got it. On the cross, when the Romans and the Jewish religious leaders and Satan thought, man, we finally have stopped God's son. Actually, that's how God saved us. He's got it. This morning, I want to remind you of something. Some of us are desperately seeking the rest that we haven't found in Christ or that we once thought we had in Christ, but we have now forgotten. And we frequently find ourselves working, cleaning, plotting, fretting, fussing, worrying, and trying to prove ourselves because we've never appreciated what it means to have grace. Let me quote Kevin DeYoung. He says, you don't have to earn anything. You don't have to prove anything. The world does not depend on you. Your salvation does not depend on you. In an ultimate sense, your family does not even depend on you. Can you hear the sweet voice of Jesus saying, come to me and I will give you rest. Take him at his word. Believe him, trust him, run to him, and then every resurrection day, give expression to what you believe by giving him praise and giving yourself a break. So when we think of the rhythm of a week where we rest, it's meant to show a principle of eternal rest that is found in believing and acting on this promise, God's got it. So this morning, let us not fail to enter the rest that God has for us. Hebrews tells us later in chapter 10 that one of the ways we experience through a weekly rhythm that rest is we do not forsake assembling together. We assemble together so that we can encourage one another in the fact that God has finished the work that we will futurely experience. The only movie that I know about that deals with the Sabbath is Chariots of Fire. That's the plot line of the movie. It's how to understand the Sabbath. It's about Eric Little. I read about him because I was running in college and I was amazed to find this Christian Olympian and what his background was. And perhaps you know the story. Eric Little was an incredible runner. And when it came time for the Olympic Games, they moved the race that he had spent all of his time preparing for and they moved it to the Sabbath. And he, as a matter of conviction, refused to run in that race because he believed he needed to rest rather than work. Well, the person that he competes against in the movie is asked why he is so convinced to run. Not Eric, but his main competitor is asked why he is so convinced to run. And he says this, I run because I have 10 seconds to justify my existence. Think of the contrast. So Eric Little can spend his whole life preparing for something, but then if it moves to an area that he convictionally thinks is wrong, he doesn't need it. This other man is so restless that if he doesn't win, he doesn't believe he even deserves to exist. And spoiler alert, the other man does win and it doesn't satisfy because of the difference between resting and restlessness. Jesus gives us rest through redemption, through the fact that it is finished and through him saying that he's got it. So the first big application for all of us this morning is have you ever received Christ through faith? Resting that what he did in your place is enough. 
Do you know this morning, if you call on the name of the Lord, your works, your sins, your striving, your struggles can all fade away when you know that he says, it is finished. I got it. But now let me talk to those of us who are believers, and I want to give five practical principles in how we then experience the rhythm of rest in our life. Five practical principles on how we experience a rhythm of rest in our life. Number one, practice a weekly rhythm of rest. Now, I did cut this out of my notes. Some of you, I want you to talk to me later. If you're still really concerned, Josh, uh, you're not saying the church has the Sabbath, right? How do we understand that? I could give you many more pages of notes on that. But for now, (laughs) I'll simply say practice a weekly rhythm of rest to rejoice in Jesus. And I think Hebrews 10 is instructive that we do that on Sundays with believers. Number two, balance your Sabbath rest. Balance your Sabbath rest. And other pastors have helped me here. Let me try to explain this. I'll give you a couple categories still underneath number two. But on your Sabbath rest, I want to encourage you to rest in ways that are ah, vocational. Here's what that means. Your, Your vocation is your primary calling. Your avocation is whatever is the opposite of your primary calling. So if you're a fisherman, you may not want to go fishing on the Sabbath. But if you look at screens all week, going fishing on the Sabbath might be really beneficial to you. Do something avocational. If you're a student right now, that's your vocational calling. I would encourage you not to do any homework on the Sabbath. You have six days to drill that down. On the Sabbath, you do something avocational. So if you're a mom with a lot of little kids on the Sabbath, take a nap. (laughs) You didn't get a chance the other six. If you work a sedentary job in an office, then on the Sabbath, go for a walk, go for a hike, get on a bike, do something avocational. God will recharge you through that. Also on the Sabbath, I want to encourage you to consider doing something completely inactive. Do you know why? Uh, Every seven years, they were not allowed to toil the land or to put anything in it. They weren't allowed to seed it or put anything in it because God wanted them on the seventh year to just see what came up without them doing anything. If you have a space on the Sabbath where you're totally inactive, God may bring something up that you never would have thought. He will germinate creativity that you otherwise would never have sown. God's really good at that. This is especially difficult in our culture because um, one of the things that keeps us from inactivity is constant scrolling <laughs> on screens and social media. But not, nothing will grow up if you don't know how to unplug. So become completely inactive from consuming. All right, number three. Number one was practice. Number two was balance. Number three, be accountable for Sabbath rest. Not just on a day of the week, but as a principle of life. We all have seasons of overwork that I think are unavoidable. You're going to grad school. You're in a launching phase for your business. You have many young children at home, but you need someone who is honest enough as a friend to tell you when that season has become your new normal and they can push back on it. If your spouse will really help you on this. It's also wise if you have friends who are of the same vocation of you, but who are believers who are further ahead. If you're a Christian business person, I would want to get to know four or five Christian business people who are further ahead, who can tell me when I'm over striving at this point. It's time to step back. Number four, 
embrace restrictions. One of the interesting things God did tied to the Sabbath and to the land is he made the people, no matter how much property they had, no matter how many crops they had, they were not allowed to glean the edges. The edges belonged to other people. God was literally putting limits on their expansive dreams. We're going to keep expanding. We're going to keep stretching out. And God said, no, actually, you're not. Embracing restrictions is so helpful if we can limit our goals and limit our expansive dreams, then actually, God may bless us in ways we couldn't have planned. And the fifth principle for practically applying the Sabbath, this one's very important. Do not enforce Sabbath regulations on others. So remember the Pharisees' error. So don't go around looking for ways that, hey, is he supposed to be mowing his lawn? (laughs) Don't look to find fault in other people's practice of the Sabbath. Assume the best, but in your own heart, find yourself resting in what Christ has done. Why should we rest? That's the goal of our existence. What is rest? Enjoyment of God. How do we rest? We trust Jesus. Let's pray this morning. God, I pray that we would find rest for our souls that cannot be found in anything this world offers. I pray that your spirit might convict in areas where we are not trusting that you got it. And I pray that your spirit may encourage us to lay down striving to outrun the good plans of God. I pray most of all, Lord, that perhaps this morning someone might realize that Jesus finished everything we need to be made right with God. Our salvation is totally accomplished by you. So we rest in that through faith. Perhaps someone needs to call on the name of the Lord, even in their own heart right now, and say something like, God, I can trust in you. I'm giving my heart to you and my soul to you. Will you save me? And you will. But perhaps as believers, we need to recalibrate because the truth is we've spent a lot of time worrying, wondering, overworking because we think we got it. And remind us today, Lord, that actually before the foundation of the world, you planned it. So Lord, may we work well, but in faith. And may we rest and refresh in trust in your son, Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to Josh Scally, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. For more information and free access to other messages, go to ebcraleigh.com. That's ebcraleigh.com.